Gospel of John, chapter 2, beginning at verse 23. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man. For he himself knew what was in man. Would you bow with me in prayer again? Father, thank you that you have given us a living hope. Thank you that our hope in Jesus Christ does not diminish over time. It doesn't become weakened as days pass, but because He is alive, our hope grows stronger each day. But Father, the weight of this world presses in upon us. And we can lose sight of the hope that is ours. So I ask you, Lord, to continually remind us that we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. Remind us that the things of this world are passing away. Remind us, Father, that these sufferings are temporary and are nothing compared to the eternal weight of glory you are preparing for those who love you. Now, Father, this morning I pray for your Holy Spirit to work within us. Help us to understand what faith really is. For it is in your name we pray. Amen. Malachi Love Robinson had a thriving medical practice. It was located in West Palm Beach, Florida. The name of his practice was the New Birth, New Life Medical Center and Urgent Care. And as I said, his practice was thriving. If you looked him up online, you would see that, that patients that had been there as well as others gave glowing reports, thumbs up. And it's just because he was so popular and his practice was growing that everyone was amazed when he was arrested for practicing medicine without a license. And it even goes beyond that. You see, this 18-year-old had no medical training whatsoever. He was 18. What's even more astounding is this. This wasn't the first time he had been caught doing something like this. The year before, in the year 26, 2015, he was taken into custody after he had spent several weeks walking around the halls of St. Mary's Medical Center wearing a lab coat and a stethoscope, giving orders and answering questions way it's kind of scary makes you want to say can I just see your degree to make sure after he was arrested one of the authorities said this just because you watched a season of Grey's Anatomy that doesn't mean you can practice medicine it's a reminder to us that appearances can be deceiving one could look like a doctor dress like a doctor and even act like a medical doctor but still not be an actual physician the Bible warns us repeatedly 
that a person could look like a believer, speak like a believer, and at times even act like a believer and still not be an actual follower of Jesus Christ. Now, if there was ever a subject where we need to know what is authentic and what is fake, it is the subject of faith. Now, we are told in the Gospel of John that this Gospel was written so that every person who reads it would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you will have life in His name. This issue of belief is at the crux of the Gospel of John. He wants us to believe. But He also wants us to know what it means to really believe. That's the point of this text. And it's a point that John will return to again and again. These three verses at the end of chapter 2 serve as a transition between two signs that Jesus did to prove that He is the authentic Messiah. And a conversation that He has with Nicodemus where He talks about what it means to be a follower of the Christ. Chapter 2 has been about transformation and fulfillment. Jesus turned water into wine to show that He gives the joy that we long for and that His joy doesn't come from purification and rituals that are done religiously. No, His joy comes because He's the Messiah and it flows out of Him to be received by those who believe. Then Jesus shows that He is the new temple. He comes and He clears house. And he makes the statement that if this temple were destroyed, he would raise it again, referring to his death and resurrection, and that the temple is his body. And in that statement, Jesus has made a point to say that the old temple, that physical structure, it's not important anymore. Now, if you want to know God, if you want to be right with God, you come to Jesus Christ, who is the temple of God. He is the only way. Now this account, and if you look at verse 22, ends with the disciples believing. Verse 21, I'm sorry, verse 22. Therefore, when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed. They believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. You see, the disciples come to the conclusion that Jesus is who He says He is because of the signs that He did. But then verses 23 through 25 are troubling. It says that when He was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, there were many that believed in His name because they saw the signs. Because they saw what He was doing. However, verse 24 is what should really draw our attention. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. There's really a play on words here. It says in verse 23, many believed in his name. And in verse 24, where it says Jesus did not entrust himself, it's the same word for believe. In other words, you could read that where they believed in Jesus, but Jesus did not believe himself to them. Or they believed in Jesus. But Jesus didn't believe in them. This is a very, very strong statement. 
It's clear the reason Jesus didn't believe in them was that their faith was not genuine. And so John doesn't want us to be deceived. He doesn't want me and he doesn't want you to be those who are caught up in just a swell of emotion and say, yes, I believe in Jesus with no thought about what belief means. So what is genuine faith? And what makes faith bogus? I think the clue is found in verse 23. Notice they believed in his name when they saw the signs. Signs, that, that word is a, another way of describing the acts, the miraculous, miraculous things Jesus performed. Every miracle was meant to point to the reality of who Jesus is. The signs were meant to focus our attention on his message so that we would respond appropriately to that message. But the people of verse 23 stopped at the sign. They read the advertisement, but they stopped there. They went no further than the sensational. They went no further than the miraculous acts. And that's very easy to do. Stopping at the sensational doesn't call for commitment. You don't have to be committed to be in awe. Stopping at the sensational doesn't call for repentance. You don't have to change to be amazed by something. It certainly doesn't call for discipleship. Their faith was the acknowledgement that Jesus was unique. He was amazing. In fact, when we get into chapter 3, and I draw your attention to verse 2, we get a feel for what their faith was. It says, This man Nicodemus came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things unless God is with him. I think that's the faith of the crowds. That Jesus, he is a man of God. That Jesus is amazing. And they began to follow Jesus without any thinking, without any thought of who He is and what following Him means. The same thing happens today. We may not see actual physical signs of Jesus, although I believe He still works in the world around us. But there are some who follow Jesus simply because the Christian faith appeals to their intellect. Doctrine and the study of doctrine feeds their ego so that following Jesus to them comes to be about knowing the right things. It feeds and puffs up their intellectual pride because their mind is filled with facts about Jesus and reading theology gives them a sense of feeling spiritual. But filling your mind with facts is not the same thing as having your heart moved by faith. Others follow Jesus because they like the moral code. These are those that they like discipline. And following Jesus gives them this strict, rigid boundary that they need. It gives a sense of order and rightness. There's a sense of moral superiority in, in following what Jesus taught. They love His ethic. And you know these people because they're quick to let you know when you don't measure up to Jesus' moral teachings. They lead a legalistic life bereft of grace. To them, the gospel is a rule book. To them, the good news is here are the do's and the don'ts. But rules do not mean that your heart has been changed. You see, Jesus never lets us off that easy. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus begins talking about, okay, murder is wrong. And we can say, hey, I have never murdered anyone. Before we can become too arrogant, Jesus says, good. 
Have you ever had anger in your heart towards someone? Have you ever hated someone? Then you've committed murder. You see, one could follow the rules externally and their heart still be far from God. And there are those that follow Jesus because of that. For others, they follow Jesus because they like the radical, revolutionary nature of His teachings. They love this passage of Jesus turning over tables. Because they look at this world and they say, there are tables that need to be overturned. And Jesus gives this revolutionary teaching that allows us to go and to transform society. The truth is, though, we can focus on turning over tables without having our hearts turned around by His grace. There's a danger in each of these things because there's an element of truth. There are doctrinal truths that must be believed if one is to be a follower of Jesus. The questions that Michael went through, he basically gave us a short course in Christianity this morning. There are things you must believe. There is a moral code. Jesus said, if you love me, guess what? You will obey my commandments. That's a moral code. If you love Him, you obey. There is a revolutionary nature to following Jesus. Loving your enemy and praying for those that persecute you, that is radical. But those things in and of themselves do not save. So we're still left if it's not absolute doctrinal knowledge, if it's not a moral code, if it's not a radical nature, then what is saving faith? Look back to verse 22. Notice what the disciples believed. First, they believed the Scripture. The signs pointed them to the content of who Jesus is. They believed the Scripture. So when they looked at Exodus and they read that, that Moses was the one who delivered the people and there would be a prophet who would come, who would deliver their people, they said Jesus is that prophet. They believed Isaiah when it talked about that there would be a, a branch out of the root of the stem of Jesse that would come and would be Emmanuel. They believed that. They said Jesus is him. When they looked at Amos and they read of the reunification of the people of Israel, they said Jesus is the one who mends what is broken. They confessed him as Messiah but notice the next phrase in verse 22 and they also believed the word that Jesus had spoken so they believed the Old Testament truth of Jesus now this is the crucial part also the immediate context is they believed that Jesus was now the temple they believed that the only way to know God and to be right with God was found in Jesus Christ. Not a physical structure, not earthly sacrifices like, like rams and bulls and goats, but only Jesus Christ. But the issue is more than just knowing about Jesus. For if we stop there, we're back at just knowledge. Believing the word that Jesus spoke is an act of faith that is displayed in our lives. The truth about who Jesus is calls for two things. And these two things, I believe, are the marks of authentic faith. First, repentance. Second, discipleship. Repentance and discipleship are the hallmarks of genuine faith. They were really two sides of the same coin. 
You really can't talk about one without talking about the other. But just so we can understand, let's deal with them both. This call to repentance is found in the first words of Jesus. Remember, the disciples believed the word that Jesus had spoken. Up on the screen, you'll see Mark chapter 1, verses 14. If you'll go to the next slide. When Jesus first came preaching, Mark records his message. After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. He comes proclaiming this message and he's saying he is preaching the gospel. So the question is then, what is the gospel? In this context, the gospel is this. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. The manifestation of God's rule is present and among you. What you had looked for is now here. It's fulfilled. And that is glorious good news. Many, many years ago we had made plans to take, my wife and I were going to take our kids to Disney World. And this was a time when you ordered tickets beforehand and they actually came in the mail to your house. So we had ordered them and the day came, we went, we got the package and we opened it together. Now, do you think at that moment we opened that package and there's our, our tickets and our, our wristbands that there was joy in the Herod house? Absolutely. But we still had to wait some months. And the day came, we drove down to Florida, drove all night long, parked at the McDonald's outside of the park, changed clothes in the McDonald's bathroom. We are from the South and we travel in the South. And then we go straight to the park. Do you think we had joy when we walked into the park? Now, this is at the beginning of the day. Right? Did we have joy when we walked into the park? Absolutely. Now, I ask you, which was greater, though? Which joy do you think was greater? Is it the joy when we get the tickets and we open them? Or is it the joy when we actually go in? It's the joy when we actually go in. It blows that earlier joy away. And that's exactly why Jesus is saying this is good news. Because the kingdom you long for, the hunger you have for hurt and sin and death and disease to be destroyed, now it's fulfilled. The kingdom is here and that is glorious, great, good news because our God reigns and He is here. Now it is fulfilled. Amen. But guess what? Because the kingdom is at hand, repent. Turn from your sin. You see, the knowledge that the kingdom has arrived calls for an act of obedience. And the act of obedience is to believe and repent. Those really are two sides of the same coin. How do you repent? You believe. How do you know you believe? You repent. You turn from sin. The gospel is here. What is the mark that we have received and believed the gospel? It is turning away from sin. It is engaging in the transformation of our mind, how we think. It is about change of heart where our values are changed. It is about a change of action where we go and we strive to sin no more. Each of those is an aspect of repentance. Repentance is not just sorrow. It's change. And that change is called Discipleship. Discipleship and repentance. Repentance is not just a one-time thing. Yes, there is the moment we pray and we are justified. But discipleship is about sanctification, where we are growing in grace and our life is characterized by the confession that we need Jesus. 
Discipleship is a lifestyle of repentance and walking humbly with God where we are changed. One of my favorite theologians is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. His life amazes me. He was killed as a young man in 1945, April to be exact, at Flossenburg prison camp because he was involved in a plot to assassinate Hitler. One of his earlier writings, one of his earlier books, is one of his best-known books. It's simply called Discipleship. The first chapter of the book is worth the purchase because he talks about cheap grace compared to real grace. But in chapter 2, he dives into this thought. Only the believers obey, and only the obedient believe. He is basically echoing the fact that how do we show we have faith? It's by what we do. Now, lest you think, well, pastor, are you preaching works salvation? No, I'm not. The only way we can repent and the only way we can obey is by the grace of God. By His grace. That's where Bonhoeffer said to say only the believers obey is the confession of grace. Because the only way I can believe is by the grace of God. And the only way that I can be show that I believe is by being obedient. Which calls me to rely upon the grace of God. Non-saving faith may believe the right things and agree even with the ethic of Jesus. But it will never turn away from sin. Authentic faith turns away from sin and strives daily to live according to Jesus, relying on the Spirit. Now the truth is, we may be able to fool others. We may be able even to fool ourselves. But we can't fool Jesus. Notice it says at the end of verse 24, he didn't believe in them because he knew all people. And I love how verse 25 explains it. Nobody came to Jesus and tried to explain to him what was going on. It wasn't like somebody said, hey, Jesus, come here. You know, William over there, he says he's following you, but he's really not. Nobody did that. This is a statement of Jesus' divinity. No one had to tell him because he knew. He knew what was in man. He knew their faith was shallow. He knew there was no repentance, no discipleship. I ask you this morning, does Jesus believe in you? Beyond all the trappings, beyond all the appearances, is your life characterized by a striving to turn from sin and a striving to follow Jesus in discipleship? Understand, I'm not talking perfection. I'm saying, are you aware daily of saying, Lord, I need your help. Make me aware of sin in my life and draw me closer to you. Does your life show growth and a consistent pattern of seeking God? I want to ask you to bow your heads with me.